0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another beautiful day. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word today, to study your word, to meditate upon it. And also, Father, we want to thank you for sending Jesus to the cross to die for our sins, for taking away the wrath that is due us. Jesus, we do thank you for going to the cross, for being God, for being the Lamb, for being our Savior and our resurrection and our life. And Holy Spirit, that you would be with us today. Guide my tongue as I teach from your word. If there's somebody in the audience listening today who has not received you as Lord, God, King, and Savior, that even today might be their day of salvation. Jesus, we just want to say we love you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we're going to study one of Jesus' parables. He spoke over 40 parables in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this parable is called the parable of the vineyard and its wicked husbandmen. This parable is found in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is a very important parable. Is God speaking to the nation of Israel. It talks about God taking away the blessing from the nation of Israel and giving it to another nation, which is the Gentile nation. We will be looking at Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. This parable is also found in the gospel of Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 1, and in the gospel of Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 9. But we will focus today on the gospel in Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants, and beat one, and killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir, come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits, and their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures, The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone, shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude, because they took him for a prophet. The setting for Jesus speaking this parable is the last week of his life. This is Passion Week. This is Tuesday. And in three days he will go to the cross, To give up the ghost and to die for our sins earlier in chapter 21 of matthew jesus had cleansed the temple and he had rebuked the priests and the money changers saying you have taken my father's house a house of prayer and made it into a den of thieves this was the second time jesus had cleansed the temple having done it at the beginning of his ministry and at this point the jewish leadership is very angry they already have a death sentence and as we read at the end of this parable where they sought to lay hands on him, they couldn't because they feared the multitude. Matthew 21, verse 33. Here another parable. There was a certain householder. The householder of this vineyard is the father. And the vineyard is the nation of Israel. And it says, and hedge round about it. This is a spiritual hedge of protection. In the physical realm, if you buy a, a plot of land and build a, and plant a vineyard, you will put a wall around it, a hedge. In the Jewish times 2,000 years ago, foxes, which would go in and ruin the vines, but also it would keep out people who would go in and steal the fruits of your vineyard. In the spiritual realm, this is God protecting the nation of Israel from demonic influences and from spiritual aggression that the evil one would try to do against the nation of Israel and dig the winepress in it. God fully expected that this Vineyard would be, would be productive, that it would have grapes. In the time of Christ, many of the vineyards would be planted on limestone and they would be able to carve two caverns. The first one would be where they would put the grapes in, and people would literally stamp on those grapes, and there would be a small channel that would go into a second basin and they would collect grape juice and they would bottle it and either sell it or use it for their own families. So In this parable, God does plant the vineyard and he does dig a wine press because he fully expects this vineyard to be productive. He also builds a tower. A tower in this time could be as high as 50 or 60 feet tall, up to 20 meters. And it would also have a very strong foundation. The foundation would be a house that would actually house the workers, the husbandmen of the vineyard, So it could serve two purposes. It would be a dorm for housing the workers, but it would also be a tower where you could see if the enemy were attacking. Then it says, God led it out to the husbandmen. The husbandmen were the leaders of the Jewish nation. They were Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the people with the power, the religious leaders, the people who had influence over the nation of Israel. And it says, God then went into a far country. Jesus, when he spoke this, was going to be going to the cross in a few days. After he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he's been seated at the right hand of the Father for 2,000 years. He is in a far country, and we are waiting his return. There is a corresponding parallel passage in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 5. I will read verses Isaiah chapter 5, 1 through 7. And this also speaks to the nation of Israel where God does everything that he can for the nation of Israel to build them up, to give them the choice land, to protect them from their enemies, and they rebel against him. He doesn't bear the fruit of many precious souls because they become wild grapes. They, be, they turn against him. They start to worship false idols. And God becomes angry with the nation of Israel and takes away the hedge of protection. And we see this in approximately 700 BC. The Assyrians came in and conquered the 10 northern tribes And about 120 years later, Nebuchadnezzar's country came in and destroyed Jerusalem and conquered the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. So Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine-press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you, what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it to waste, it shall not be pruned, nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds, that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, and behold oppression." For righteousness, but behold, a cry. So, the, the first point of this lesson today is going to be God Himself founded Israel and the kingdom of heaven, and Israel is the vineyard. In these verses from Isaiah chapter 5, we see where God says, I will sing to my well beloved. Jesus loved the nation of Israel, the Father loved the nation of Israel, and it says, He has a vineyard, this nation of Israel, in a very fruitful hill. God gave the Israelite nation the promised land, which is a very fruitful hill. Even today, if you travel to the Middle East, this area of Israel is very productive. Israel is, for example, the number one exporting country in the world for flowers. Many, many crops and fruits and vegetables grow abundantly in the nation of Israel. This is a choice property. Verse 2, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof. Whenever you plant a garden, for example, here in Virginia, you have to clean the land. There are so many rocks and stones in our soil here. And it says God gathered out the stones thereof. And in the spirit world, those stones would be hindrances to the nation of Israel. They would be the enemies. They would be the sinful patterns in the individual lives. And it says he planted it with the choicest vine. When we plant a garden, we want to buy the best, for example, tomatoes that we can find or the best cucumber vines that we can find. And Jesus was no different. When God put this vineyard in Israel, he planted it with the choicest vine. Israel became God's chosen people. They were the choicest of vine. He built a tower in the the midst of it. This tower was for the protection and the power of the Holy Spirit in the nation of Israel. He led them for 40 years, for example, in the wilderness when they came out of Egypt. He also made a wine press therein. A wine press is made with the expectation that you will have a fruitful, plenteous crop. And God was fully expecting that the nation of Israel would have many, many souls that would serve him with the joy of the Lord in their heart. And yet, many of the Israelites rebelled against him. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. There is a a harvest time. In the fall here in Virginia, we expect apples from the trees. We expect tomatoes throughout the summer. There is a harvest time. And in the spirit world, it's the same way. God fully expects a harvest of souls. And Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest. There are many souls ready to be saved. This uh, vineyard that the Lord had planted in Israel, it says it brought forth wild grapes. Wild grapes are small. They're not Big and juicy. They have thick skins. They are bitter to the taste. Some are even poisonous. In the spirit world, this represents people who rejected the Holy Spirit. They rejected Jesus, Jehovah, as their one true God. They went and served false idols, and God became very angry with them. And Jesus says in verse 3 of Isaiah 5 And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. They had to choose. Were these leaders going to take the nation of Israel and literally milk it for whatever they could for their own personal benefit? Or were they going to choose to serve the, the Lord? Joshua said, "For as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listener today, who are you serving? Are you serving mammon? Are you serving the flesh? Or are you serving Jesus and his kingdom? Verse 4, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? So Jesus is asking, what more could he have done for the nation of Israel? He was their one true God. He provided them a nation. He gave them choice land, the promised land. He defeated their enemies. He gave them a spirit-filled life. He gave them the law where they could live their lives. What more could he have done for them? And yet this vineyard brought forth wild grapes, worshiping false idols. Then he goes on in verse 5, Now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard, what he will do to this nation of Israel. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. Jesus did take away the hedge. The Assyrian nation and the Babylonian nation did come in and conquer Israel and Judah. And he did break down the wall thereof. There was no more protections, either in the physical world or in the spiritual realm. And many of those souls after that they went into abject idolatry and their souls today are in, are in hell. And it says, it shall be trodden down. This isn't a wall that crumbled because of neglect. It was trodden down because of the armies that marched in and conquered. And it says, I will lay it to waste. Jesus is the one who allowed the nation of Israel to be wasted. The Father said, I will take away the hedges and I will lay it to waste. It shall not be pruned. If you have a garden and you don't pull the weeds and you don't protect the plants from the pestilence that's naturally due in a in a garden, you're not going to have much of a crop. And that's what the Father is doing here. It says, it shall not be pruned nor digged. Digging means when you put the, the um, fertilizer down and you surround the plant with good soil, it would not be digged. But it shall come up briars and thorns. God didn't even plant the choice plants anymore in his garden. He just let it be filled with briars and thorns. And then he says, I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. If a garden has no water, it's going to die. And in the spirit realm, the Holy Spirit is the water of life. And God took away the rain. God commands the clouds. We wonder where the storms come from. Jesus commands the clouds. He is the God of the universe verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Here God is explaining in his word what the vineyard is. It is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it says God looked for judgment but behold oppression. God expected the leaders of Israel to be impartial and to judge truly but They abused their positions and they were oppressing the people. It says, God expected righteousness, but behold, a cry. God can hear the people, the cry of the people who are oppressed. God knows when people are treated unrighteously. God expects righteousness, but behold, he heard the cries of the people who were being abused. The second point of our lesson today is God expects fruit from his vineyard. God expects souls for the kingdom. Matthew twenty-one thirty-four says, And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. So the servants to the husbandmen, the servants are the prophets. In 2 Kings 17, chapter 17, verse 13, it says, Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. So here we see that these husbandmen, these farmers, the ones who are taking care of the vineyard, these would be the leaders of the Jewish nation. God sent to them his servants, the prophets, to advise them. And it says the servants were informing and instructing the leaders of Israel to turn from their evil ways and to keep God's commandments and his statutes. And yet they did not listen to the prophets. And in fact, they abused them and they killed them. Matthew twenty-one thirty-five reads, And the husbandman took his servants, the prophets, and beat one and killed another and stoned another. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 29 to 33, God talks about the leaders of Israel Israel says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers of them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill you up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? So Jesus is speaking to the leaders of Jew, of the Jewish nation three days before he goes to the cross and he calls them hypocrites. And they were saying to him, we would never have put the prophets to death. And yet someone greater than the prophet is standing before them and they have a death sentence on Jesus. Jesus isn't a man in the flesh as a, a prophet. He is God incarnate in the flesh. And he is much greater than any of the servant, servant prophets that God has sent to the nation of Israel in its history. And God is saying to these leaders, Woe unto you. And he ends this passage by saying, You serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? And he's not saying it as there's a way out. He's saying, how can you escape? It's almost he's giving them the curse that it will be impossible For those people who are going to put Jesus to the cross, those leaders of Israel, it would become almost impossible for them because he says, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Listener today, if you're not saved, you need to ask yourself that question. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Hell is real. Heaven is real, but hell is also just as real. Both heaven and hell are made For God's glory. In Hebrews chapter eleven, verse thirty-seven, speaking of the prophets, it says, They were stoned, they were sawn asunder. Sawn asunder means to be cut in half. They were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Hebrews chapter eleven is what we call the Hall of Faith chapter because it talks about all the great leaders in the Israelite history of men that had great faith. This verse speaks to the prophets that were stoned and sawn asunder, that were slain with the sword. Matthew twenty-one thirty-six. again, the householder sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. God the Father sent many, many leaders to the nation of Israel, starting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his 12 sons, moving in through the, through the prophets, the judges, the kings, and then all the way through Malachi. And then there's a 400-year period where the Bible is silent. But throughout that period, God always sent leaders to teach the Jewish nation the difference between right and wrong. And he always was consistent in teaching them, if you love me, keep my commandments. Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Many of these servants ended up being martyrs. And in Matthew 6, the word is teaching us that we really should take no thought for our life. Because serving Christ, even to the point of martyrdom, is much more valuable in God's eyes than giving into the ways of the world and to turn our back on, on the Holy Spirit's call in our life. Matthew 21, 37 says, But the last of all he sent unto them his Son, saying, They will reverence my Son. This parallel passage in Mark, chapter 12, verse 6, it says, Having yet therefore one Son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my Son. And as Jesus is speaking this parable, he is preparing to go to the cross. John three sixteen and 17 read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Jesus, might be saved. And the third point here in today's lesson is, the rejection of Christ is a fatal sin, and it will result in eternal destruction in the lake of fire. Matthew twenty-one thirty-eight reads, But when the husbandman saw the Son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's speaking to the leaders in Jerusalem and he knows in their heart they want to kill him. John chapter 11, 47 and 48 says, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man Jesus Doeth many miracles. If we let it thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. So the Israelites, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they took a council. They got together in a room and they put a plot against Jesus' life. And their justification was He will take away our place, their place of privilege. They controlled the systems, the religious system, the political system the monetary system, and they also feared that the Romans would even persecute their nation more. They were living in somewhat freedom under Roman authority. As long as they paid their taxes and didn't violate egregiously the law, Rome let them fairly live in peace. But here they're taking counsel and they're justifying their cause to kill Christ through protecting the nation. and not to take away their position in life. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So these two verses teach us that God, at sundry times, all the way back to Adam and Eve, and in diverse manners, He speaks through his physical creation. He speaks through the prophets. He speaks through his word of God. He speaks through the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us. In diverse manners he spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. And now in these last days he's speaking to us through his son who has been appointed heir of all things. Jesus is heir of all things and we become joint heirs with Christ when we come into the family of god when we when we are adopted into the family when we receive jesus as our personal lord and savior matthew twenty one thirty nine says and they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him so here jesus is prophesying his own death he says they caught him and they cast him out of the vineyard the vineyard being jerusalem they took jesus to mount calvary on the hill of golgotha outside of the temple mount and they slew him, they crucified him. Acts 2.23 explains how all of this happened. Him, this is Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Here Peter is speaking to the Jewish leaders, and he's saying that Jesus was delivered by the determinate counsel. When they took counsel in that room in John chapter 11, they determined to kill Christ. Also, it was through the foreknowledge of God. When did God put the plan of salvation in place? Did he do it when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? And he said, okay, now I need to come up with a plan to redeem mankind because it's fallen? No, God's plan of salvation never had a beginning. Somebody once said, did it ever occur to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? We have things that come into our mind and we go, wow, the light bulb goes off. It just occurred to me, so-and-so or such-and-such. That has never happened to God. Christ has known everything forever into infinity. So God already had this plan of salvation put in place forever. He never had a start to the plan of salvation. It's always been there. And this verse teaches us that through the foreknowledge of God, the leaders you have taken and by wicked hands, These men had wicked hands. The blood was on their hands. Have crucified and slain. And also, the blood isn't just on the nation of Israel's leaders. It's on us. Every time we sin, God has to pay that price for our sin if we go into heaven by becoming a child of Christ. All of us are just as guilty as the Jewish leaders of putting Christ on the cross. And it says, By wicked hands have crucified and slain. If you recall... When Pilate washed his hands of the innocent blood of Christ, he said, what shall I do with this just man? And the crowds cried, crucify him, crucify him. And then they said, let his blood be upon us and our children. And in effect, they cursed future generations because the blood of Christ is on other generations all the way even into 2017. Matthew twenty-one forty says, when the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? So this question says, When the Lord of the vineyard cometh, when God comes back, in this story, when he comes back from the far country, but in our time of 2017, when the Lord himself shall descend from heaven, what will he do to those wicked husbandmen? Psalm 90.11 says, Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. People that do not fear God, they are strong in their sin. And the wrath of God builds against them. They are heaping wrath against the day of wrath. But for us who fear the Lord, fear of God is a way to prevent us from sinning. It's also the way that we have access into the wisdom of God. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if we want God's blessing in our life, we need to fear him more. And the more we fear the Lord, the less we'll sin. So it's an inverse relationship. The less we fear the Lord, the more we sin, and the more we come under his wrath. Deuteronomy 33:11 says, Bless, Lord, his substance, and accept the work of his hands. Smite through the loins of them that rise against him, and of them that hate him, that they rise not again. Here Moses is writing in Deuteronomy, accept the work of his hands, and smite through the loins of them that rise against him. So the people who re- rebel against the Lord in Moses' time, in the physical realm, he said strike them through. The loins being from mid-thigh up until your, your chest. So that's the heart of your body. And if you strike somebody through in any part of that body, they're probably going to die. Matthew twenty-one forty-one says, And they say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. When Jesus is saying this parable, And he says, what will they do to those husbandmen? The people answer, he will miserably destroy those wicked men. The leaders of of the Jewish nation, the ones in Jerusalem listening to this story, and remember this is Passover week, there are literally hundreds if not thousands of people that are listening to Jesus preach. He is saying here, he will miserably destroy those wicked men. And then he's going to let out his vineyard, this nation, onto other husbandmen. And Jesus actually takes, takes the blessing off of Israel and now puts it into the Gentile nation. And shall render him his fruits in their seasons. Every fruit has a season, a harvest time. Each generation has new children that grow up that need to hear the word of God. They need to know that they're sinners on their way to hell. They need to know God's plan of salvation where he went to the cross They need to repent of their sins and they need to receive Jesus as personal Lord God and Savior of their life and they need to start living for him. Every generation needs to be told the good news gospel message. Titus 3.11 says, Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. Anyone who rejects the free gift of salvation, they're condemned of themselves and they're subverted. They're under the slavery of sin. Matthew 22:12 says and he saith unto him friend how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment and he was speechless. This was the parable of the wedding feast anybody who comes into the wedding feast is going to be thrown out into the outer darkness because he didn't have on the proper wedding garment. Do you have the proper wedding garment on? The proper wedding garment is the blood of Christ covering your sins. Are you truly a Christian and born again? Have you been born two times of water and of the Spirit? Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. The last point we're going to look at today is Jesus is the rock of our salvation. Matthew 21, 42 reads, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner.'" This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Psalm one, eighteen, twenty-one, and 22 read, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. So Jesus is the rock. He is the foundation of our salvation. In Christ's time, when they would build up a solid structure, they would need to get a cornerstone. Today we dig a hole and we pour a concrete foundation and a lot of times we can put steel rods in and the foundation is very strong. But in Christ's times, they would find a rock on which to build the house and that rock would become the cornerstone. And this is a picture. Jesus is the cornerstone of our salvation. Matthew 7:24 and 25 reads, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. Here we have the visual image of a house that's built upon this rock. The storms of life come, but it does not fall. And in the spirit world, Jesus is our rock. And when the spiritual storms come, we will not fall if Jesus is the rock of our salvation. Ephesians 2.20 reads, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the center of the gospel. Without Christ, the Bible is empty. The Old Testament points to Christ going to the cross, and the New Testament points to Christ having gone to the cross, pointing back to the cross. Jesus is the focal point, of both history and the Bible. Matthew 21, 43 reads, Therefore say I unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. So Jesus is saying to the Israelite leaders, The nation, the kingdom of God, shall be taken from you. And it's going to be given to a nation that will bring forth the fruits thereof. And that nation is the Gentile nation. Listener, today if you're a Gentile, You can receive Jesus as your personal Savior. Now, this verse does not mean that an Israelite, a Jew today, cannot be saved. He certainly can. He can become a Messianic Jew and enter into salvation the same way we do. For by grace are you saved through faith. And if that individual living in Israel has faith in Christ, he can be saved just like somebody living here in the U.S. can be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. However, the blessing has been taken off the nation of Israel, so it's more difficult for that nation as a whole to receive redeeming grace. Luke 2 verse 34 says, And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child was set for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. This child was meant for the fall and the rising of many. Many people would be blessed through Christ going to the cross and yet many people would be stung, would be in the spirit world rejecting Jesus going to the cross. Acts 28 verses 27 and 28 read, For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted." and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. So we see this consistent theme from this parable that Jesus spoke through Acts here. The heart of the people, the Jewish nation, is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes have closed to Christ. And it's because lest they should understand with their heart and be converted. God took away the blessing. It's more difficult for the individual living in Israel today to be converted than it is for a Gentile today to be converted. We have the window of opportunity to be saved. Don't waste it. Don't neglect it. Don't have your ears dull of hearing. And don't close your eyes to the true gospel message. Matthew 21:44 says, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. So have you fallen over the stone of Christ? If you have, you can break that hole of sin in your life. If you're not saved today, you're a slave to sin. And God doesn't want you to be a slave to sin. He wants you to be a servant unto righteousness for his kingdom. But unto whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Isaiah chapter 8 verses 13 through 15 read, Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread, and he shall be a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense, to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken, And be snared and be taken. These verses also teach us that let God be your fear, let God be your dread. And if we do fear God, then he shall be our sanctuary. The Bible says we will be ground into a powder. And in the spirit world, that means we will face the great white throne judgment and we will be cast, soul and body, into the lake of fire. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, but in the time frame, it's about 60 AD. So the apostles, some are still living, many have passed on, but this verse is a warning to us. How will we escape damnation? How will we escape hell? How will we escape the great white throne and the lake of fire, if we neglect so great salvation. Jesus is the great salvation. And it began first by by being spoken of by the Lord. All throughout the Old Testament, Jesus speaks of going to the cross. He also warned the Israelite nation when he preached to them and they rejected him. And then throughout the New Testament, God, through his grace and his mercy, presents the gospel message to us, this Gentile nation living in 2017. Matthew 21, 45. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. They understood that God was speaking to them. They understood that he was saying, how will you escape hell? He understood that they were going to have the the rights and the privileges taken away from them. Psalm nine, fifteen, and sixteen reads, The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made, in the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. These two verses teach us that we make our own bed that we sleep in, so to speak. We are taken by our own sins. It says the net which they hid is their own foot taken. And God is a just judge. He's not going to bend the rules and let somebody into heaven who's a sinner who has not received him as their personal savior. It says the Lord is known by the judgment which he executes. God will is a just judge. He's not going to change what he has put down in the Bible. Romans chapter 2 verse 15 says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. God wrote the Ten Commandments in our hearts. The law is written in our hearts. We know thou shalt not commit adultery. We know deep down thou shalt not murder. We know deep down we should have no other God before us. God wrote his law in our hearts, and our conscience also bear witness to his truth. God is truth. Matthew twenty one forty six. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took Jesus for a prophet. They, in their hearts and in their minds, they wanted to kill Jesus right then and there. But because of the great multitude of people who took Jesus as a prophet, they feared the multitude. They were not really gung-ho about their passion for being leaders of Israel. A true soldier is not afraid to die. They wanted the good life. They wanted to protect their position. They wanted to protect their money, their politics, their systems, but they were not willing to die. It says they feared the multitude and it says because the multitude took Jesus for a prophet. That's also kind of a sad commentary on the people there. Most of them did not receive Jesus as God. They received him as a prophet. And even today, many people say, yes, Jesus was a wise man. He was a great teacher he was a great prophet, but for the most part, the world does not receive Jesus as their prophet, priest, and king, and God. God fulfilled all those roles, but the most important role is Jesus is deity. He always has been God and always will be God. Psalm 21 says, For they intended evil against God, they imagined a mischievous device, which they are not able to perform. These people intended for Jesus to go to the cross, and Jesus willingly went to the cross. No man could ever kill God. God had to agree to go to the cross and in the flesh give up the ghost. Jesus chose to do that because that was his plan for our salvation. And it says in this verse, Psalm 21:11, they imagine a mischievous device which they are not able to perform. Ultimately, Satan's plan Is going to be defeated. He is sort of like a dog on a leash. He only can go as far as God will allow him to run. One day he will be cast into the abyss for a thousand years and Jesus will reign on the earth during that millennial, one thousand year reign. Satan will be loosed for a season. He will tempt many of the souls. There will be one final rebellion. God will speak a word. And then it says the, bio, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and he shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. They might have a de- mischievous device in Jesus' day. Satan does have a mischievous device, but they are not able to perform it ultimately into eternity. God is king. God will rule. He is righteous and every knee will bow And every tongue will confess to God's glory that Jesus Christ is God of all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this parable in Matthew chapter 21, the parable of the vineyard and the wicked husbandman. But it was your plan to go to the cross. And Lord, it is our blessing as a Gentile nation that you have freely in this dispensation of grace presented the gospel to all of us. Perhaps there's somebody listening to this message today who has not received you as God in their life. That today would be the day that they receive you, that they would submit to your authority, that they would recognize that they have to have a godly sorrow for their sins, that they would have a desire to repent and turn to you and call upon your name, the name that is above all name. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your Bible. Thank you for being able to study it today. Amen.